Hi, I'm Mick Cronin and this is What's Your Cause? A podcast in which I interview a variety of guests about a cause that is close to them, something they feel passionate about. I want to start conversations that educate, inspire and shine a light on causes around the globe that can or are having a significant social impact. But here's the kicker. Each guest will nominate the next and become a chain that will lead from my very first guest to my last and ultimate guest of season one, Barack Obama. Got your attention? Thought I might. So here we are, episode three of What's Your Cause? Last week I had the pleasure of speaking with Gus Warland and what an incredible human being he is doing great work with Culture for Life. And Gus nominated Kat Koshal. Now I had heard of Kat's name but I must admit I wasn't aware of her story um, and what a story that is um, or the work that she does at Kindness Factory. But what we speak about in this episode is is how Kat founded Kindness Factory, the work that it does um, and the impact that it is having, not just here in Australia, but um, also uh, in the US and, and her, I suppose, ambitions to bring it to other countries around the world as well. What this episode really did highlight for me was a simple act of kindness can do so much for someone else. I think an interesting stat that I heard was during COVID, 3% of Australians said that an act of kindness towards them had saved their life. So something so small that you can do towards someone else in a kind way can have such an impact on them in that moment. I'm not going to say much more. I'm just going to let us get into the episode. But before we do, I just want to mention that there is... Um, talk of suicide uh, during the episode so please if you are triggered um, in any way please reach out to your friends family or a professional and seek that you know support that you need all right let's get into episode three of what's your cause with kat koshal so kat welcome to what's your cause podcast thank you very much for having me yeah, thank you for being guest number three. And uh, you were nominated by Gus Warland. Yeah, very good man. Very good friend. Um, and I love him to bits. Yeah. Yeah, he was, uh, I had a great conversation with uh, with Gus and, um, in my last episode. And yeah, what, a, what a, a lovely human being doing amazing work. But today's about you. So, Kat, what's your cause? My cause is kindness or I guess more specifically Kindness Factory. So I'm the founder of Kindness Factory, which is a, I guess it's a, it's, it's a not-for-profit in structure, but more so I like to think of it as a, a global movement of kindness where we encourage people from all walks of life to engage in an act of kindness, at least for themselves or others, um, at least once a day, that kind of thing. Um, and across the years, it's gained a lot of momentum. Um, in that we've registered over 4 million acts of kindness and it's now in schools across the world, which is fantastic. Um, And really, I guess my secret mission has become to redefine or to to highlight the strength of kindness. Um, So I think so often it's seen as a bit of a a nice to do um, rather than a need to do. Um, And I really think that that narrative needs to start to to shift a little bit so that people can really and truly understand and appreciate the power of kindness. It's such um, it's such a amazing cause and it's such an amazing thing you do. And I was doing a little bit of research. I don't do too much when we have when I get a guest nominated, but when I started to 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 see your story and see what you were doing, the actual act of kindness um, is something that people will probably feel that they that they do, but maybe they don't do enough of. So. I, I'd love to know and unpack a little bit about 
you know, what your aims were when you started this, uh, the Kindness Factory. Where you thought it might get, like, what was your initial goal? And where did you kind of have that moment when you're thinking, this is something, you know, that, uh, that I really want to pursue? Um, initially, it was always just going to be a social media page to my full-time job. I had a great job in sport. Um, I've been through a fair bit in life, um, which I know this podcast isn't about, but I guess it sets up some context um, as to why I do what I do. I've broken my back twice on two separate occasions and had to learn how to walk again. Um, so I spent a lot of time in hospitals, rehab centers. And amongst that, also lost my partner to suicide. And you don't go through things like that in life um, and come out on the right side of it, seeking kindness or pursuing kindness or inspiring kindness without receiving a lot of it yourself. And so a good example of that, um, when I was in a wheelchair, um, I think I'd just been told that it was very unlikely that I'd ever walk again. And I was in- incredibly crushed. I'd, you know, I was a professional athlete and here I am, not, not, not only am I not able to play the sport that I had wanted to do for the entirety of my life, but I was never going to walk again. And I walked out of that, well, no, sorry, I didn't walk out. I wheeled out of that meeting in my wheelchair. Um, and as you can imagine, it's a pretty confronting task, right? It's a pretty, it's a, it's pretty confronting news to have just received. And it was in a rehab environment and, wheeled out of that that meeting room and I got to the elevator and I'm sat there in my chair and all I kept thinking was I'm struggling to breathe like I was full of that much emotion and overwhelm in that news that I was like I just need to get downstairs um, into my room where I can just let it all go cry do whatever it is that I need to do and grieve a little bit and it was so tough I remember sitting there in the chair and just out of reach was the button to be able to get downstairs. So to, to press the button to go down the eleva- elevator and I couldn't reach it. And not only have I just been told that I couldn't walk, I was like, this is these are the challenging moments that I'm going to have for the rest of my life. I can't even reach a lift button to get downstairs and do what I need to do. And I was like, oh my God. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks and I was defeated. I was absolutely crushed. Next minute I hear this ping and it was like the elevator ready to sort of accept me in and I was like what's happened here and I lifted my head out of my hands and a a stranger had walked past and must have seen that struggle and without me even knowing they'd pressed that button for me and then they walked off I saw the back of them walking off toward maybe a bathroom or something like that and I was like and it was the tiniest act of kindness the smallest act of kindness yet it meant everything to me in that moment and I was like those moments are so powerful and I think all of us individually and collectively can afford to do more of that, right? It wasn't a grand gesture. He didn't, it didn't cost him a cent. It maybe cost him a couple of extra seconds to, to press the button before he went on his way. Um, yet it had the most profound impact on me because I could get downstairs and just cry. Or do, but when I got downstairs, I realized I didn't need to cry anymore because somehow he'd restored my faith or belief in myself. And I kept thinking to myself, when I'm well enough to do so, I need to be able to, I don't know, pay forward this kindness. And there were so many moments like that throughout my struggle in life that these small acts made the biggest difference. And I thought when I'm well enough to do so, I need to give back. And so when I was well enough, I, I started in pursuit of that, giving back whatever I could. Um, and very quickly and, and very organically and accidentally, that sort of caught wind. So people, I guess, recognised my story. Um, and I guess it was inspiring to, a, to a, a set few people. So they started engaging in acts and... It's now, yeah, grown into 4 million, um, which is fantastic, which I think just, you know, makes a point. Like, you just got to start somewhere, right? Like, I never intended that, um, you know, it's my full-time job. I travel the world now as a motivational speaker. But 
really it's less about the story and more about what that audience member or whoever reads a book or whatever um, feels at the end of it. I don't want people to think that I'm amazing. I want them to think that they are and that their acts matter. Um, and so I guess that's my job now. Um, you know, uh, as the movement started, as I said, it was a side project to my full-time job in sport, which I loved. Um, and then just got invited everywhere to share my story and to, to promote kindness. So um, it's it's now a registered charity here in Australia, as well as the US. Um, we're piloting some programs in the UK at the moment, um, and hopefully it'll be New Zealand and, and other countries after that. So very accidentally, um, very organically, I feel like it's a journey I'm no longer in control of. I've got a great board. Um, you know, I get all the credit for the organization's success because I'm the founder and I'm not going to say I don't deserve it, but there are many other people who have made this um, a reality and made it into what it is today. So um, I haven't, certainly haven't done it alone. The way you went into that and just went, oh, you know, I broke my back twice. <laughs> I also, you know, lost my partner um, to suicide. And, and from that, I just, you know, start this kindness factory, start this way of um, passing on kindness and, and kindness acts as well. In that moment, um, in your moments, which you... I couldn't imagine that because I've never been through, and I imagine a lot of the listeners here would would not be able to imagine what you were facing. Where do you think that came from? Where you know, you, in that moment where you're in that elevator and you're facing like absolute, like I would imagine a really heavy, deep, you know, um, part of your life, thinking I could be in this wheelchair for the rest of my life. I could be facing this. You're, you, as you say, you were a you were a cricket player. Your your career is probably is is gone, and then this simple act of pushing a button has triggered something in you when you reflect back on that like where where do you how do you think that you were able in that space to acknowledge that and recognize that and then act on it yeah that's a very good question I mean I I think it really comes down to choice regard like none of us go through life um unscathed or without adversity um you know I'm someone who's looked at by a lot of people as this phenomenon who's you know, just got this bounce back ability. And I I don't think that's true. I think every single one of us have the ability to overcome anything. Um, Sometimes we don't know what we're capable of until we have to be capable of it. And I think really the only difference between those who can overcome and, you know, people often talk about if someone is or has faced a trauma, you can either go down a route of PTSD and there's no judgment there. I've been diagnosed with that before. Um, or PTSG, post-traumatic growth, which means not necessarily that you didn't struggle through the adversity, but you went through the motions of feeling it, um, overcoming it, processing it, and then learning from that experience as well. And ultimately, it's going to sound quite simple for a lot of people, but it really is, it's choice. So I can choose when I'm in that wheelchair um, to continue to feel sorry for myself and and rightfully so, right? Like I've just been dealt a really heavy blow or I can choose to see that there's a man that's just helped me um, and be inspired by that. And I think when you're in those moments of hardship, um, it's so easy to just succumb to it. And I did, like I broke down many times throughout my struggles. Um, But I think it's what you do after that. And really, I think everything in life is just a choice. I mean, Kindness, for example, um, you know, we're, we're here in Melbourne. I'm from Sydney. Um, yesterday I spoke at a principal's conference, so 600 school principals in one room um, wanting to know about my life story and, and what I'm doing in the school space and education about kids and also empowering teachers to help kids with kindness and resilience, etc. cetera. Um, and it was a beautiful moment for me. You know, 20 years ago, uh, that would have been my worst nightmare. I was a bit of a shit at school. But um, 
you know, to have those people in that room who give so much energy to our kids, the next gen, it's a tremendous responsibility that we all have as human beings, not just teachers, right? Um, think about any interaction that you have with a person, be it your spouse or your kids or your best friends, your community, but also strangers that you walk past or the person who makes you coffee. Every single interaction that we have with another human being, like it or not, it's a great responsibility, but also a great privilege. It has the ability to lift someone up or it has the ability to drag someone down. And that choice is ours as human beings. And I think um, upon realising that, and again, just experiencing that amount of kindness, um, it, it really just became a very simple choice for me. What do I or who do I want to be, regardless of what I've been through? I don't care if I've been through whatever it is. I want to I be kind and I want to be able to give that moment that that man gave me to others. And so that became it. Everywhere I go now, it's, you know, I'll thank someone for holding the door for me or because I that, that's ultimately a choice or I can just walk by and or if a person irritates you or you're getting poor customer service or whatever it is, we're all humans. We can have bad days and, and not, you know, appreciate moments and things like that. But ultimately, every response that we have is 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 ours and we get to choose how we respond in any situation. And I think it was just more so the power in recognizing and realizing that for me that I was just like, Everything is my choice now. Um, I can be human. I'm always going to be human. We're always imperfect, but I can always choose kindness. And that's how simple That's how simple I've made it, I think, for myself and, and starting to make it for others as well. You make it sound, um, you articulate it so beautifully and you make it sound so easy as well and so and so sensible. Like it, it's an easy choice to do. Yeah. But within people, it's not a choice that people tend to always do you know what I mean and um, and I'm sure everyone means well I think human beings everyone means well but being able to actually take that next step to actually say you know I'm going to be kind to someone today I'm going to have an act of kindness like you say is a commitment to doing something but it doesn't have to be a grand gesture it can be any kind of gesture that gives you that gives someone else that lift that you were given like similar to what you had as well you would obviously had to have a lot of resilience in you to bounce back the percentage of kindness and and the gathering of res- and, and the resilience that was already embedded in you um seems to be what came together for you because you were facing a lot more than you know I, I do know that you were facing correct me if I'm wrong maybe losing a limb as well mm-hmm. explain a little bit of that that's fascinating to me I just read about it a little bit I've read your story a little bit and that was another part where I was thinking this is crazy <laughs> yeah I well I broke my back the first time playing cricket um, and I had five unsuccessful surgeries, um, and the sixth was almost deemed a success, um, but a very invasive surgery, that one. So they cut through the stomach and did all those sorts of things, and um, I sort of was in recovery, and then it was a surgical error um, that saw me come within about three hours of having my leg amputated. Um, I, you know, come out of that, but, you know, now I live with permanent disability as a result of that. So I can't feel anything below my left knee now, um, which is just something I've learned to live with. But I guess to answer your question, um, you know, resilience, I think, um, why kindness has helped me be resilient is because kindness is a personal value of mine. And so, you know, I get to speak all around the world and the most common question I can guarantee it will happen after every speaking engagement I get, it's just simply this, how? How have you done the things that you've done and how have you overcome the mental, physical, emotional barriers that you have? And 
I can't ever give a response that would work for every individual on the planet. So what's worked for me might not work for you or anyone really. And so the question I throw back to those people is, or if there was a room full of 100 people, um, I'd say, raise your hand if you know what your top five values are. And I always say to them, don't feel pressured to put your hand up because not many people can instantly do that. And it's a very simple exercise that we could all afford to do simply by taking 10 minutes to Google personal values and a lot will pop up, hundreds of them. Things like, you know, for me, it was mine are personal, you know, authenticity, respect, kindness, gratitude and connection. Yours might be very different and that's completely okay because we're all okay to be different. Why I ask people to do that is when you know what your top five or 10 or what resonates with you, when you're facing into a struggle, it's a good little piece of paper that you can pull out and go, right, um, why am I feeling challenged or offended? Or, you know, why am I feeling like I can't overcome this barrier? Maybe it's just that I need to go back to these core values that I have as a person that I've identified by myself um, that resonate with me to be able to then tackle what I need to next. So for example, break my back the first time, lose my partner, um, doing really well after that through kindness, um, started the kindness factory, et cetera. And then I ended up being a triathlete and I'm on a training bike ride with my two best friends and got hit by a drunk driver. And that's how I broke my back again for the second time. And it was a very serious accident, coma intervention, et cetera, like near death experience. And I come out of that um, very groggy. Um, I guess the first thing that helped me in that was, uh, my parent, my family are amazing. Um, I'm, you know, I'm able to do the things I do because I've had so much support. My friends are the best people you'll ever meet. Um, my family are amazing. Um, and they've always supported me. And as I come out of that experience, I look at my parents and just the, the, the look, I'm not a mum, I'm an auntie though. And if I had to see one of my nephews or my niece struggle the way that I have, it would nearly break me, I think. And so I recognized when I saw them that I was probably the lucky one. Because I didn't have to watch me go through the things that I was, I just had to go through it. And I think that would be a much more torturous task. So I had perspective then. But also when I was having those down moments, because I did 100%, I did, please don't ever think that I didn't. Um, I didn't have to look too far, I guess, because I'd been through struggle before. And the question I asked myself was, what worked the first time? And I knew it was gratitude and kindness and things like that. And so I thought, well, I just need to practice that a little bit more to overcome this challenge. And I did. And it became a much more simple task for me, you know, throughout a six-month rehab stint again, teaching myself how to walk when everyone told me I wouldn't and all that. So, yeah, it was it was kindness and it was gratitude and, um, and humor is a big one for me, um, you know. And, and it's not hard to find. You just pick up the phone and... It, sometimes it was even just um, because connection's important to me. It was just staying connected with a friend and, and ringing them and, and not necessarily telling them about my day, but it was like, tell me about yours because I'm in rehab and it's a really shitty place. And um, what did you do today? And I just got to learn about their day. Um, and suddenly I felt connected and okay again and all those sorts of things. And so I think it's not necessarily kindness that made me resume. I think it's a very good strategy for anyone who's facing a challenge to embrace kindness for themselves and for others. So um, you know, I think a lot of people think I'm just the most selfless person in the world. And, and, you know, maybe I am to a certain degree, but also what I always say to people is, is a great analogy. You know, whenever you get onto a plane, the first message you hear is, um, the safety message in case of emergency oxygen mask will fall from the ceiling, put yours on first before helping others. And there's a reason for that because we can't help others unless we've helped ourselves first. Um, and so what is it that I need today that you need today that's going to allow you to practice self-kindness first so it might be to kiss your wife or partner or it might be to take your dog for a walk or get your favorite coffee or hug your kids 
whatever that is that you need, um, give that to yourself first and then others. Um, and I think that's a, a very important piece of the puzzle that a lot of people, certainly givers, forget sometimes is that, you know, uh, Brene Brown's a bit of a cult hero around the world and, and she's got a great saying, choose discomfort over resentment. Um, so sometimes self-kindness looks like saying no if you don't have the time or the resources and things like that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, that's not an unkind thing to do at all. I think we just sometimes need to prioritise ourselves before we can prioritise others. And I think when you combine the two of them, it becomes very selfless, not selfish. One of the biggest things is to be in a position to give kindness. And you talked about yourself. And one of the things I would say, to, um, and I'm interested in getting your take on this one as well, is... The world that we live in at the moment has high pressures. Um, employment has, pro- or work has high pressures. Stress is a big thing. Like, f- for me as well, it's, it can be a big thing. I know for other people it can be a big thing. Like, I don't, like, it doesn't submerge me. But I'm very aware that I have times when I go, I am stressed. And in them, when you're in them moments, which you can be with, and that doesn't mean about employment. That could be, like, your family life. It's everything that's dragging you from every angle. And in them times, I would, I would say that that's the hard time to find the time for that kindness. Is that a fair reflection? Like, can you, um, could you unpack that a little bit? Is that something yeah. you, you, would, you would talk to people about? Absolutely. I think, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot in that. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I do so many things in so many corporate organizations and stress is the most common reason or thing that we can't practice kindness because we can't get out of our own head. Um, and that could be through outside influence where your boss is putting pressure on you. So you put pressure on your employees, um, manage down, manage up, et cetera. Um, also, I think the, the difference between kindness and niceness, I think they're so often interlinked. And I think there's a huge difference. You know, I always like to say the difference between kindness and, and niceness is think of your best friend or someone very close to you and they're going through a struggle. Um, the nice response would be, be to go, you're all good, everything's okay, and try and maybe lift them up. The kind thing to do, the strength would be to say, mate, I'm a little bit worried about you. I know that you're going through a struggle. What can I do um, to help you? Should we go and seek some kind of help um, from a mental health perspective or whatever it looked like? But it's having the hard conversation. The stress response is a, a really interesting one. Um, in the, I think, you know, self-regulation is an important tool that we can all practice. And, and the, the curriculum that Kindness Factory now implements in schools is um, really, I guess, what I asked the academics to do in designing that was to break kindness into 12 pieces. Um, it was originally going to be 13, the years, the number of years of schooling that a kid would go through from kindergarten to graduation. And we condensed mindfulness and meditation because from a teaching standpoint, they were quite similar. And, you know, self-acceptance is one of the, the core attributes um, as well as, you know, regulation skills and mindfulness and all those sorts of things so that when we do get in that stress response, we've had some tools or training and we've unpacked those things so that we're less likely to snap or to respond in a way that we're less proud of, for instance. Um, some of the most kindest leaders, um, so, so some of my favourite leaders, obviously, because I have an attachment to kindness, you know, the, the kindest leaders, I think, um, you know, Cynthia Ardern's starting to make headwaves because she's practising empathy and compassion within her leadership um, of New Zealand, for example. Um, but I don't, I think we're starting to, to break the mould of leadership having to be as narcissistic or as targeted as what it has been historically but I think the most important thing to do when you're stressed because I have plenty of stresses um, is to just remove yourself a little bit from the situation so the question that it's always important to ask when you're in that high pressure high stress environment is to go um, why am I feeling this way 
So is it because someone's putting an external pressure on me? Is it because I'm putting pressure on myself? Um, is it that I'm just bloody tired because I've had a big week or whatever? Um, I'm a dad or I'm a mom or, um, and I think when you can remove yourself a little bit from that situation and have that bird's eye look and go, if I was a, um, a stranger or a friend watching this situation, what would I think? And it's like, is this person assaulting me or my values or is it just simply that I'm tired or whatever it is? And I think when you can remove yourself a tiny bit from that, choose again how you, you, you want to respond. A great example was the other day, um, uh, it was probably about a month ago and I was in a different state to home and I was booked in some accommodation by a third party because I was there speaking for them and um, I wanted to stay on and do some extra things and so I'd booked, I, I, I basically rang the hotel that had already paid for my accommodation I said, look, I'm going to stay a night before and a night after but I just want to stay in that room so that I don't have to pack up my things because I'm at the conference and I'll just use that as my central base. And I'm like, of course, and so paid for it with my credit card, all that kind of stuff. And I got to the hotel and I checked in and um, I said, oh, um, you know, said my last name, Koshal, checking in, etc." And they said, yep, no problem. So tomorrow you'll just check out. And I was like, pardon? I said, no, 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 I'm here for three nights. It's like, no, no, it's just one night in the system. I said, no, no, I'm definitely here for three nights. Here's the email confirmation. And they said, oh, I see. I see what's happened. They've just extended the booking, but it's been put through a different system. Um, so you're going to be put in another room. I said, that, I said, it really defeats the whole purpose of me staying here because I could have chosen a different hotel. It was more convenient. And I, I chose to do this option because, and I was very calm in, in doing that. And I said, is there anything you can do about that? And they said, um, no, you're going to have to check out. And I said, I've got to be, I've got a big drive ahead of me tomorrow. I really don't have the time to be able to do this. And they said, so anyway, it was really starting to irritate me because then they're like, well, I'm going to have to get my supervisor. I'm like, please do. Um, that would be great. Um, so they get the supervisor and the supervisor. And I was like, you know, I had this conversation with the person. I've paid a pretty good premium to, to be able to do this as well. Is there anything that you could possibly do for me? No, no. And so... My blood was just like, I was just like, I really don't have time for this. I was running late for a meeting and everything. And I'm like, oh my God. And I was like, look, I'm going to have to check in later. I've got to get going. Um, and I could, I could feel myself starting to get to that point where I was going to go, ah, oh, like, um, and I just said, you know what? This is not your fault. Um, it's completely okay. And I was just like, all it's going to take me is an extra 10 minutes to pack up my stuff tomorrow to put it back in concierge while I go out and do what I need to and then check in. And really in the grand context of life, it's not that big of a deal, um, and so I guess it was just having that bird's eye view to be able to go, this is okay. Like if this is the worst that's going to happen to me today, I'm okay. So a bit of perspective built into that. Um, and again, choice. So I was like, these, these people don't deserve to cop a shellacking from me or a complaint or anything like that. Um, it's not to say that in future, if things like that occur or human error occurs that you can't put in a, you know, a feedback form to say, I think you could go better in these areas. Again, a kind response. Um, but yeah, in that moment, it was, it was definitely a choice where I was like, it's, it's coming, my blood's starting to heat up and, um, chose the, chose the right way in my opinion. So it's good. It's good that you, um, it's good that you were at that point and you had that regulation like that. You were go, okay, there's, there's two ways this can go. And the best thing for me at this stage and everyone is to, is to go this way. You just reminded me of something that, um, yeah, I wanted to share. It was really, really interesting. I was in a, a um, probably like a conference, just like a, a get together with, with other social um, entrepreneurial people. And, and, and it was um, this lovely lady who was, who uh, was doing this talk on compassion and, and so forth. And she said something that really resonated to me, which is really kind of the back of what you said is quite close to it as well. And um, she was in a similar situation where she was traveling and, and, you know, 
she lost her bag and and you know with her husband and they were in this beautiful country and everything was in there passports and everything else for me that would have been an absolute nightmare i would think i would have been like steam running my ears and and instead of having um a blame game with the husband and herself she said a simple a simple comment simple word she has this doesn't have to be anyone's fault mm-hmm. and i was sitting there going this doesn't have to be anyone's fault i was going what an incredible way to break something down like that because it's actually giving you you're, you're talking to yourself like you're really saying like this has this doesn't have to be someone else's fault or anyone's fault you can just walk walk with what you've got and walk around what you've got and face what you've got but don't don't add another layer to it by bringing it onto someone else. Yeah. And I just, in that moment, I'm taking that. That is something that... I like that. It's great, isn't yeah, it? And, yeah. I, and, and I've caught myself saying it. Um, I did say it to my wife one time and it did work. I don't know if it would work anymore after that, but I was just <laughs> like, at the time, I was like, this doesn't have to be anyone's fault. She was looking at me going, where'd you get that from? But yeah, it's it, brilliant. It, it, is, it is such a brilliant way to do it. And yeah. I, I took that with me and I keep it with me all the time. And and, uh, and I just felt that when you were saying that story, it just reminded me of that. Yeah. No, that's brilliant. I have to look her up. I'll get her details yeah, off ma- you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll give you her details after. Yeah, she's uh, Mary Freer is her name. And okay. She's, yeah, she's... Uh, yeah, a wonderful person. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and um, yeah, so I'm interested in the curriculum a little bit more. Yeah. yeah so we talked about the, you know, the, the stresses of, we talked a little bit about the work, you know, and, and the environment, and you were talking corporate and all that, but I'm really intrigued um, in how this is going into schools uh, across, obviously, America, and you said um, here in Australia, and you're looking at UK and, and other countries as well. Um, say, for instance, in America, how hard of a challenge was this to get that into into the system there, or do you think they were open to this? Because here we are, this person's coming from you know Australia. You've got this you know, obviously got a great story behind it, but you're just saying, hey, by the way, I want to put this curriculum in your schools. It's about kindness because I find this brilliant because you're getting before the 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 the, the problem, even though it's not a problem. It says that make, what I'm trying to get at is you're trying to embed kindness from a, an early age up. Yeah. So it becomes a, a, a behavioral norm, I suppose, or something that's accepted like that. How was it received when you tried to put that in schools? Was it a challenge or was it like, hang on, we are, we want this? Um, column A, column B, I think. Um, there's still, there's challenges every day still with it in that, you know, um, we want to be in every school in the world. So it's, it's not even close to that. Um, how it all happened was, you know, as I said, there was never an intention for kindness actually to be anything big at all. Um, but through motivational speaking, uh, you know, a lot of people love hearing me tell my story on stage and traveling the world as a speaker. And I was flown to New York, um, which I thought was for an event. It was, you know, I thought it was for a very big company, probably one of the biggest in the world. Um, and I just assumed because of the amount of money that they spent in travel accommodation plus speaking fees that it must have been like a whole staff conference, like a big event. And I got there and the, you know, the secretary assistant lady, lovely, sort of said to me, um, you know, I'll take you through to the CEO's office. I said, fantastic. And I assumed it was for a briefing call. So you do that as a speaker, you just try and gauge what they want you to own in on and all that kind of stuff and get in there. And we had like an hour long conversation. Essentially, he just said, well, you know, tell me a bit about your story. And so I did. And an hour later, sort of, you know, pressing a button to get his assistant back in and she's like, oh, I'll take you out and you know, got my backpack on with my laptop and all the cords ready to plug in for this thing. And I said, where shall I set up? And she said, um, what, what do you mean? I said, where shall I set up for this talk? And she said, um, no, you're done. Like, that's what you're here for. And I was like, pardon? Um, she said, you're done. It was just to have a meeting. And I said, okay. 
Uh, and so I, I was very lost. I was like, what? And I said, can you, can you explain that? She's like, no, no, he just wanted to meet you. And so I was like, so I just essentially did a talk for one person. Yeah. And I was like, okay. Um, and I was scratch like I am right now. I'm sc scratching my head going, what? Like, I haven't lost anything by coming here, but also this isn't why I pursued this, like not to have one-on-one -on -one meeting with someone. And, and so I was quite curiously very lost and maybe a little bit ashamed of myself. I was like, why didn't I do my homework? And anyway, I'm walking back toward my hotel and I walk past the school and I marched myself into the school and I went to the admin people and I said, look, I'm from Australia. I've got a really unique story. You can Google me. I'd love to share it with the kids. Would that be okay? And they were like, kind of almost like, going, is, she, is, this, is this she all together? Like it. Uh, and so they Googled me and they said, oh my God, um, yeah, how much? And I said, no, 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 nothing, like all good. Can you come back tomorrow? I said, yep, I can. So went back the next day and I loved it. Um, and I was like, okay, I need to do this. If I want to see kindness in the world, I need to start a generational shift. So I just then made a deal with myself for every engagement I did that would put food on my table, help me pay my way. I'd go into a school environment for free and word traveled very quick and I had like 600 schools reach out and I was like, oh my God, I've done myself a complete disservice. Um, and I ended up meeting Kaplan, who are a global education provider. Um, so home based in, in, in the US, but a global presence. So UK, Australia, et cetera. And we we're chatting and they said, well, look, how could we help? And I said, well, you're an education provider. Here's the predicament. I, I want to I want to get into schools with an influence of kindness. I'm one person. It's not scalable. What could I do there? And they said, well, why don't you talk to some of our academics? So I did. And we just locked ourselves in a room for two weeks. And I said, here's my life experience and these are my thoughts. But I don't have the background in ed education or academia to be able to pull this off. And so they said, we let's create a kindness curriculum. And it's not a curriculum you know, by definition, um, it's a resource hub essentially. Um, and what it does is, as I said earlier, we break, we broke kindness into 12 pieces. And I guess the challenge I gave those academics was if I was to break kindness into 12 pieces so that they equal kindness when you add them up, what are the pieces called? So I went back to the drawing board and, and they're things like trust and honesty and empathy and compassion and perspective and positivity and you, look, you can look it all up on thekindnesscurriculum.com. And I said, great. Um, okay, so what do we do there? Because trust to a five-year-old looks very different to an 18-year-old. So how can we figure that riddle out? And we ended up coming up with like age-appropriate resources so that you can a teacher can just grab a resource and go, okay, I'm going to teach my classroom of kindergarten kids, so five-year-olds, about the importance of trust today. And it's just there in a library that they can pick up and go forth. And I sent that out, you know, we ended up fast tracking the projects because COVID happened and I had a lot more time on my hands and so did the academics. Also, uh, a lot of people knew that I was building this and they were like, all these parents started calling me going, Kath, we're in lockdown, I'm about to strangle my children. Um, have you got anything for us yet? And I was like, oh. So we sort of hurried the process and I just sent it to 60 of the schools in Australia, almost thinking it would be like a pilot in May of 2020. And now it exists in 3000 Aussie schools and a lot more in the US. But how I guess we've implemented or infiltrated the school system um, in Australia, it's certainly been word of mouth. We've had zero government help, which is, um, it's been a bit of a, a challenge for me um, in that, I, you know, we've had 28,000 downloads of that content. So I, I dare say it's probably in more schools than what we know about but we're not getting any assistance from government it's it's you know through philanthropy 
uh, and also corporate partnerships that were able to do that, as well as Kaplan being the incredibly generous people that they are, gifting that to us for free so that we can give it to people for free. So it's a, um, it's a, f- I, I'm super proud of it. It's the, you know, I think it's the uh, most important thing I've ever done in my life. And I think it'll have a legacy um, that will, you know, far outlive me, that's for sure, as well as possibly kindness factory i mean the end goal for kindness factory is that we don't need to exist because everyone's kind right um but you know i think there's a lot of work to go between now and then but essentially for me it was uh, the reason i'm so passionate about kindness is because i've been through a lot in life and we all have life is hard like it's never always easy and no person on the planet will ever go through life without being touched by some moment that really just hurts them be it through natural disasters, grief, loss, whatever it is, injury. Um, Why, therefore, is there so much unnecessary suffering? And what I mean by that is man-made adversity. So bullying, violence of any nature, be it domestic violence, gun violence, violence on the street, crime, etc. Why is that still happening? I don't understand it. Um, So, again, it's about putting kindness at the forefront of people's mind to say this is an active choice. I can choose to bully or do this or whatever it is. Um, And I think that from an adversity standpoint, when we can start to make sense of our adversity, we can actually process it in a much healthier way. I was never bullied as a kid, ever. Just didn't happen to me. And maybe it did, and I just didn't even know that it was happening. It just bounced off me. I think it's because I was so interested in sport, and so I was protected by that. But I've got a, you know, one of my siblings was. I've got three older brothers. He's the most beautiful man I know and he was bullied because his little sister, me, was better than him at sport. He didn't even like sport. So why the hell is he being targeted about it? Like it didn't make any sense to me and I used to hate watching him struggle through that and when I went into these schools, I was hearing from the kids and mobile phones, I'm showing my age here, but when I was finishing, um, we had like a Nokia brick with a bloody snake on it, like game, you know what I mean? Like these days the devices are so impressive and the kids all have them and it's, you know, if they're bullied or the subject of bullying, they're bullied from the ages, you know, sorry, from, you know, between the hours of nine and three in the schoolyard and then they leave and then they've got Snapchat and Instagram and Facebook and WhatsApp and all these apps and it's just cyber bullying and it's just, and and you wonder why we're, our kids are struggling because they're just copying it on the daily. I, I stopped in my tracks, um, oh, it's still rocking me about three weeks ago, I got a call from someone saying, is this school in your network? And I looked it up, said, no, they're not. Why? And they said, Kath, a 10-year-old boy just killed himself. And I just, I remember just nearly falling to the floor, 10. When I was 10, I was probably worried about what lollipop I was going to get at recess rather than, like, I didn't even know what suicide was. So how is there a little boy who in recess has marched himself into a classroom and taken his own life? I, that really stopped me in my tracks. Another one a 13-year-old girl who took her own life. Um, They looked through her phone. Six kids had sent her a message telling her to kill herself. And an interesting exercise to take kids through who do target other kids is to say, let's put you in a room with that person. Say out loud what you sent that... Read out loud the text message you sent to that person in front of them and in front of me right now in the room. And they can't do it. And I'm like, why can't you do it? You just sent them... Like, words have... Like they have consequences and we like, I'm not going to say that these kids need to be blamed for the rest of their lives or anything like that, but they need to take a little bit of responsibility because you can't hide behind devices anymore. And for me now, like, and that's, that's a very like, you know, 
uncommon experience, but it happened. And that's one life too many that's gone now. And so I think it's more about then instilling these messages of, you know, I think with kindness, right, not only does it make us more resilient because we can open our minds up to the goodness of the world, but what we've learned so far with the curriculum is, you know, there's better attendance rates at the school who are using our curriculum. So kids are wanting to come to school more. There's better academic outcome. And the reason I believe that, and Gussie and I talk about this all the time, is when you're in a kind and safe enough environment um, to, to learn, you're actually able to, like, so i.e. there's less bullying or name calling or whatever it is, more kindness. That means you're in a safe and kind enough environment to actually absorb information because you're not in the threat response or you're not fear about what's going to happen at lunchtime because someone's going to chase me down a corridor and punch me. Um, and so I think there's so many benefits to kindness that it'd be silly for us not to think about it in um, even many selfish ways as well. So I think that's why I've even forgotten the question that you asked me, but um, that's, this is why I'm so passionate about kindness because I think it's got a very transformative effect um, in so many different realms as well. So um, yeah, that, oh, sorry, it was about the curriculum. Yeah, so that's how it sort of happened and um, how I infiltrated the, the US, it's just through connections. So again, speaking is a great vehicle for me to to be able to get my story out there. And um, I guess it, once I've shared my story and the why, you know, it's a pretty powerful tool for me because then people go, all right, I'm on board. Um, and, and even teachers for that matter, you know, they might've heard of a kindness curriculum and know that it's associated with us, but not know my story. And as soon as I go in and do a teacher session, it's not a, I have to do, it's a, I want to do. And so it just becomes a much easier sell. And so again, how do you scale that though? You're one person. So just doing my best. And then through corporate connections, both here and in the US where we're able to do that, but also the incredible generosity of Kaplan that can't be unsaid as well. They've, they've been right behind our mission since day dot. You are one person. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I was going to touch on that. You are just one person and that's good enough at the moment. Really, that's better than most at the moment what you're doing. You're doing incredible things for this one person. How do you feel? I'm also interested in what government, you know, are not, you know, what they're telling you or what if you're, you're getting in conversations <laughs> and what they're, you know, not saying about, you know, or are saying about why, you know, this isn't, you know, something that they look to invest in. How do you grow, you know, this and, and how do you be able to step back your story and as you say the kindness factory is the kindness factory could it be the day that when someone links into the kindness factory they don't know you they don't know your name that's my goal that's it. your goal yeah. yeah yeah i think how do we um, get there um it's a it's a riddle that i can't solve alone um but you know my goal is that 20 years down the line someone goes yeah i love kindness factory how did who even like how did that even begin like i'd love for that to happen um because i think for it to be a success or for us to see kindness it needs to be bigger than one person and so there's a strategy that we've got, you know, for me, I thought I was probably very naive thinking it might be a two year journey to get me detached from it. So I'd still be involved, but my story isn't the entirety of the movement. But through talking to experts and marketing and people far more, you know, that way minded than what I am. It's a five year journey at the moment that we're on, uh, five to 10 year journey, they even suggested. So, um, you know, I, I I'm a very accidental speaker. I'm not a gifted speaker. I just got to, I just have a very unique story and people love hearing it. And so, but it takes its toll too, to get up pretty much every day um, and to have to relive the things that I've been through to have the impact that we're having, it takes its toll. So um, I'm an introvert, not an extrovert, which surprises a lot of people because of my career, but I finish the talk and then it's, you know, into the hotel room or back home or whatever it is. And it's just silence. And that's how I recharge. Um, I don't love going, like I, I do a lot of, you know, 
social outings um, for work and, and personal and all those sorts of things. And I enjoy them to a certain degree, but how I recharge is just by being by myself or with a very trusted person, partner, friend, whomever. Um, but yeah, I think it's a, it's a strategy. Um, you know, we have got a lot of help this year from some marketing experts who are helping us to transition toward that, but we're not ready for it yet. Um, but I don't think that day can come soon enough. I don't think I'll be speaking in two years time. I think that's when I need to shift into a different gear of life and probably prioritize myself a little bit more, um, and the people who are closest to me and things like that. But at this point in time, um, it's a privilege that I don't take lightly and, and I'll do it as best and as much as I can while being kind to myself, I think. I think the successes of what you're doing will be the story. Yeah. You know, and, yep. and I think that, you know, that will, like from what I've, you know, from what you spoke about today, what I know about Kindness Factory and what you're speaking about, like, like it's hard to see how the successes yep. and what you're doing doesn't become the actual story moving forward, you know? Um, and yeah. I think, yeah. So, um, look... I want to just wrap it up a little bit now because obviously you've given us a lot, you've given us your time. It's been absolutely amazing to talk to you. Thank you so much for sharing that because I know like it's, you know, it's your life, it's it's everything you are, but you speak so passionately about it and, and you can see why um, Kindness Factory is in so many schools. You can see why there is over 4 million acts of kindness being done at the moment and, are, and you know, and will continue to go as well. Just finishing up on this podcast, so... There's one part about this that I need to, to, to speak to you about, and that is the next guest. So you were nominated by Gus, and part of, of, uh, of the podcast is that I start with one person and I've moved through each, each guest. So you've been number three, and Gus has nominated you. So there is a part of this where I need your support to get to the next cause so someone can share what they're passionate about and something that maybe other people haven't heard so we can keep continuing to educate people and continue to shine a light on causes around the globe. So it can be anyone. Um, but I do have a goal that I want to get from the first per- person, which was Bianca Chatfield, to my ultimate last guest of this season, which would be Barack Obama. Now, that could probably take me about five years. could maybe take me 10 years. It might take me a bit sooner. Now, what I need from you is to have a think about someone who you feel would, you know, I could sit down, have a chat with, and that cause would be something that, you know, would be a great conversation for them to, to, to share. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I've been fortunate enough to meet uh, both Barack and Michelle through my journey. Um, So I'd love to be able to connect you straight in, but I think it would be remiss of me to do that without you talking to another very good friend of mine based out of LA because I think the beauty of what you're doing is going to be the journey that gets you to that, but also uncovering the stories as a consequence. So I'm going to nominate a man called Seth Maxwell who's based out of LA, um, who founded The Thirst Project, which funds a lot of, you know, uh, underprivileged communities um, to give water, um, sanitary kind of products, things like that, um, into underprivileged countries and communities, third world countries, et cetera, who's also now transitioned into what's called as uh, the youth legacy movement. So he's an incredible man, very intelligent um, and very warm as a person, um, I think he's even written scripts for movies. So he's sort of a man of, or a jack of all trades in that sense. Um, but doing a lot in empowering youth to take accountability for a lot of the things that are going on in the world. So empowering them to believe that they can change the world in in their own unique ways. So I think um, he's got a very unique um, and interesting story. And I think he'd be a great next guest for you. So I'm more than happy to connect you in there. Kat, that would be amazing. Um yeah, it sounds sounds brilliant, and and I thank you for your time. I thank you for being part of this uh, 
cause or, or this movement that I'm trying to start to get to from one person to the next. But um, yeah, you're part of, I always say to everyone, everyone's a little bit of a link in the chain now. So I just really can't thank you enough for the work that you're doing. Yeah, thank you for being you. Thank and you. thank you for all that you're doing and all you're going to do um, and for giving your time up today uh, to talk to me. And I wish you nothing but the best in the future with everything that you do. And I'll be watching um, from, from the outside in um, about where Kindness Factory is going to go and, and waiting for that time when... Uh, your story when you, when I go when I ask you are you still presenting you go no I'm not presenting anymore <laughs> you go, Yo, you've done it have you thank you yeah no, it's been one. a privilege thank you if you enjoyed the podcast please subscribe share or even leave a comment you can follow me on Instagram at mick23cronin this podcast was produced and edited by Mick Cronin